We're going to be reading from Mark chapter 4. And I've kind of divided this up into a number of uh, little passages again. But you know what? I'm just going to take it right from the top. We'll read Mark chapter 4 verse 1. And uh, we'll read down to verse 20. Mark chapter 4 and verse 1. And we're speaking about the Lord Jesus Christ here. And he began again to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea, and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables, and said unto them in his doctrine, Hearken, behold, there went out a sore to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. And when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up, and choked it, and it yielded no fruit. And other fell on good ground, and did yield fruit, that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty, and some sixty, and some an hundred. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, they that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? The sower soweth the word, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves, and so endure but for a time, and afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things entering in choke the word and it becometh unfruitful. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty and some an hundred. Amen. May the Lord bless to us this reading from his word. Our Lord Jesus Christ was sent by his Father to reveal divine truth 
to this world, but particularly to his people. And at the beginning of Hebrews, we are told that God has spoken by the Lord Jesus Christ, having spoken in times past by a variety of means, God, who at sundry times and in divers' manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. And so the Lord Jesus Christ is God's voice to us today. And when we hear the Lord speaking, we are hearing God speaking to us. And here the Lord Jesus Christ is speaking to his disciples. And he is interpreting this parable to them. The parable of the sower. Now we've seen that uh, a parable both hides and reveals God's truth. It hides in the sense that it shields or protects holy things from the mockers and the scoffers and those that would ridicule. The Lord says elsewhere, don't cast your perils before swine. And yet, it also instructs, the very same words instruct and apply those gospel truths, laying them on the hearts of those to whom it is sent, those who are given Holy Spirit illumination and an understanding heart, spiritual understanding. And this parable, the parable of the sower, which is before us today, it serves to reinforce that fact to us. That fact that parables both hide and reveal. This parable was given for a purpose. The Lord Jesus Christ, in instituting this means of speaking, this parabolic uh, uh, sermon, did so with a purpose. And there is a familiarity in this parable, but there is also a starkness. And I want to just pause and dwell on those two thoughts for a moment in our introduction here today. Few of us with any knowledge of the Bible whatsoever will not be familiar with this parable. This parable, the parable of the sower, is the stuff of Bible storybooks. And if we have been introduced to the Bible in childhood, undoubtedly we were given a picture storybook of the parable of the sower. It just lends itself to graphic imagery and countless children's addresses and lots of of evangelistic sermons. I imagine that everyone who's listening to my voice right now has already got in their head a picture of this sower sowing his seeds. But this is also a very stark 
parable. Even, dare I say, fearsome. While we are told that some seed falls on good ground, fruit-bearing seed, there are three other places revealed to us in this parable where growth is doomed to failure. And also, who makes this an evangelistic sermon except a free will preacher with an agenda and an axe to grind? This is a parable. And this is a parable expressly designed to convey spiritual wisdom to God's covenant people. And I return to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is designed by the Lord to convey spiritual wisdom to those to whom it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God or the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you want to call that evangelistic in a narrow sense, that's fine. But it's certainly not the case in the free will approach of an Arminian preacher. This, this parable does not mention conviction for sin. It doesn't mention judgment to come. It doesn't mention the death of the Lord Jesus Christ or cleansing blood or imputed righteousness. All subjects that one might expect to find in a message particularly addressed to unbelievers. But it does explain to the church what tools of service are at the church's disposal in the service of God. It does explain to the church what the world's reaction will be when those tools are exploited and activated in the preaching of the gospel. And it does explain to the church where Christian fruitfulness and usefulness is to be found. And that's the spiritual wisdom that Christ is dispensing to his people in this parable. Our Saviour has very graciously and very beautifully explained this parable. So in some respects, I'm, I'm very much redundant today as, as the preacher. Because would I dare to add to the Lord's explanation? Or am I going to be as presumptuous as to uh, try to bring a few remarks to bear on his explanation that he missed? And that would be presumptuous indeed. So what we're going to do today is we're going to consider a few general principles that this parable reinforces. And we will be reminded, I trust, if the Holy Spirit will engage with us, why 
the Lord's explanation of the meaning of this parable to his disciples was so important. So important for them. To do so, I want to bring you four general principles. And the first one is this. The Lord Jesus Christ was teaching his disciples by the use of this parable the centrality of the preached word in the disciples' ministry. Okay, that's quite a mouthful. Let me say it again. Here's the repetition coming in. The centrality of the preached word in the disciples' ministry. What is this parable about? What is it called? It's called the parable of the sower. It's about the sower. The sower, the one who sows the seeds. Therefore, it's about the disciples. It's about their apostolic ministry. And what the Lord Jesus Christ is doing in explaining these uh, verses, these, these images to his disciples, is he is explaining to them their own personal role as preachers of his gospel. The Lord is telling these men what their purpose is, what their role is as preachers of the word. Now let me provide a little context here for us all. Mark, we've just begun on, on, on chapter 4 and, and we preached from chapter 3 uh, a number of months ago and, and perhaps uh, much of it is, is forgotten and, and uh, so be it. But uh, he, he, let me remind you of what has just transpired in chapter 3. Mark has just told us in chapter 3 that the Lord Jesus Christ ordained 12 apostles or messengers, because that's what an apostle is. It's a messenger, one who carries the message of the teacher. And he commissioned them or ordained them to preach. He would send them to preach. So we read in verse 14 and 15 of Mark chapter 3, he ordained 12 that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. So with him to learn from him, that he might thereafter send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. Now this power to heal sicknesses and cast out devils seems to be particular gifts for that apostolic age, for that particular time of the apostolic ministry before the New Testament uh, scriptures uh, had been pulled uh, together and, and gathered together. And indeed, we may uh, quite legitimately spiritualize these two things, the healing of sicknesses and the casting out of devils in the context of the church's ministry today is um, uh, not so much a physical healing, but a spiritual healing of spiritual sickness and a spiritual casting out of devils as that strong man who possesses uh, the, the, the house of the, uh, uh, the, the unbeliever and has to be expelled 
um, and cast out by the coming of the Holy Spirit in power. But these 12, this verse tells us, were principally called to preach. Men that were gathered over a period of time and places, but immediately following their ordination. As the Lord Jesus Christ continues in his ministry, we are told that two things happen. One is that scribes come down from Jerusalem and they accuse Jesus of demonic possession and of serving Satan. The second thing that happens, and it seems all to happen on the same day as we were reflecting last week, is that the friends and family of of the Lord Jesus effectively disown him. And we can read that in chapter 3, verse 21, and in verse 31. There's this idea, there's this sense that they are unhappy about what he's doing, even to the point of accusing him of madness beside himself. So these two things happen. The Lord ordains these 12 and calls them to preach. And immediately the Lord himself is accused of demonic possession, of being a servant of Satan, and his own family seem to cast him away and marginalise them. Both of those things must have made a big impression on the disciples. And let me say another thing here. The disciples, or as they became the apostles, Peter, James, John, uh, um, uh, the other disciples that that, uh, uh, came along, Paul particularly in, in, in later times, they never preached in parables. They were not learning from the Lord Jesus how to speak in parables. Their preached ministry was the work and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Exclusively so. The uh, disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ preached Christ crucified. The Lord Jesus Christ here was showing them that their ministry would be opposed and he was showing them that their ministry would be costly. They were called to be preachers. They were called to be sowers who sowed the word, who preached the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus preached to a multitude in parables, but his real audience was just a few. The few who gathered to whom the meaning of this divinely inspired story would be revealed. So Mark chapter 4 verse 10 says, They that were about him with the twelve. Now that might have been quite a large number. It certainly is more than the twelve. It may indeed have been the seventy that were sent out uh, two by two in order to preach the gospel. But it is to them that the Lord says, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. So here is the first general principle. I said we had four. Here is the first one. and That's the first one is what I've just given you. Preachers are seed men. Preachers are seed men. And they sow the good seed of the word. That's a general principle that the 
Lord Jesus Christ has established here in this parable or in the explanation of this parable. They are called to preach despite the fact that they will face opposition, despite the fact that they will suffer. The seed that is sown is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We read that in uh, verse 14. The sower soweth the word. It is the word of God, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the second general principle that this um, that this little uh, explanation and interpretation of the Lord Jesus Christ gives us. Notwithstanding their faithful sowing of the word, because the disciples were faithful preachers of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, but notwithstanding their faithful preaching, the Lord specifies four different responses that that faithful preaching will result in. There are people who hear the true gospel preached. There are people, and it is these people of whom the Lord is speaking in the parable, that hear the apostolic preaching. Now, let me just pause and, and remark upon that. Not everyone in this world hears the true gospel preached. Not everyone does. That's just the reality. Indeed, I would go so far, and I may be a little bit bold here, but uh, I trust not overly stepping the mark to say that many, many people who believe they're hearing preaching are not hearing true preaching at all. They're not hearing sovereign grace preaching. They may be in Christian churches, but they're not hearing the true gospel preached. So the number of people who actually hear at any time in their lives the true gospel preached is probably relatively small in the context of the world population. And it is only those who hear the true gospel preached that is in view today, not all those others out in the world. So the Apostle Paul tells us that there is another gospel, which he says is not really another gospel, but it is a troublesome perversion of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is the free will works religion. And like every religious perversion, it's not that that is in view in this apostolic preaching. But it is true apostolic ministry that generates the response in these four different kinds of soil, of the, the wayside and the three soil types that we have before us. The gospel is ordained to be declared. And that gospel is the true gospel of Jesus Christ. That was the message that the apostles had committed to them justification by grace, the necessity of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sin, imputed righteousness, full and free salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ. Those are the doctrines, the key doctrines, the central doctrines which characterise faithful gospel preaching. 
And it is incumbent upon all of us to seek out and to search for faithful gospel preaching. Because we will not be nourished and we will not be sustained in our souls if we listen to a perversion of the truth. All who hear that gospel preached that I've just uh, um, spoken about, hear a faithful gospel preacher. And Peter and Paul and John were faithful gospel preachers. But there were reactions to their ministry. Some were careless when that gospel, that true gospel, was preached. Some of those hearers were wayside hearers. And their reaction was, who cares? Who cares? What is that to me? These people were going to hell fast and they were ignoring the only message that points to salvation. The only message that points to Christ the Saviour, to heaven and to forgiveness of sin. Here's a solemn thought for us. Some of our children are in exactly that place. They have heard, they have been privileged in this world to hear faithful gospel preaching. And their reaction is, who cares? What is that to me? They're like Esau. And they're prepared to give up their birthright for the immediate satisfaction of the offerings of this world. It's a very solemn thought. They hear the true gospel preached and they're gone tomorrow, careless of the fact that they have had such a blessing laid in their lap. Now, I don't want to appear pretentious um, as if this is me uh, personally. But, but I, I know people. I know people that are my neighbours are, are around here. I know people that I'm friendly with, that I'm polite to. Men and women. And they don't want to hear me preaching. They don't want to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They just don't. It would be the last thing from their minds would be to hear the gospel preached. And they would be offended if I suggested that it would be a good thing for them to do it. Now let me imagine for a moment that those same people were suffering from cancer. And I happened to mention casually in the conversation that I was one of the leading cancer specialists in the world today. What do you think their reaction would be? I think their reaction would be to prick up their ears and to think very seriously and perhaps even engage me in conversation and broach the subject about their illness and their need. And wouldn't it be wonderful if I could look at their case notes and perhaps give them my, the benefit of my thoughts on their case? Why? Because there's a burden in their own lives for the need that they perceive. But the people at the wayside to whom this good seed was sown are careless. They've no thought for the true gospel of Jesus Christ, even though they've heard it, perhaps repeatedly. 
Here's the second group of people that the Lord identifies. The curious. They're interested. Huh. Why are they interested? Something has intrigued them. Something about this gospel message has intrigued them. Maybe it's nostalgia. Maybe they're remembering their childhood. Maybe it's the traditional religion of their family or, or even their culture. They, they go to a new town or a new city. What do they do? They look up a Baptist church. Why? Because we were Baptists. We are Baptists way back. And they're interested in, in, in coming along to church. They're interested in hearing the gospel preached. They like the system. Maybe they admire the, the boldness of the preacher. Or they sympathise with the aims of the church. Maybe they like the moral clarity of Puritanism. And the rules and the regulations of, of legalism. And they come along and they listen but their interest isn't enough to matter. Not really. Not, not to matter where it's important. Their religion works for them like a tool in a box. It's an insurance policy for them. And if they've ticked that box in their life that they've got church sorted, that's all they need. Some of us are in that category. We're hearing the gospel today, but we'll be gone tomorrow. Maybe there are some who hear that apostolic ministry and they're committed. They're committed to a point they're committed. And this is perhaps the most devious and the most fearful state of these Soil types that the Lord presents here before the disciples. They are like members of the church at Ephesus. Let me read you a couple of verses about what the Lord says to the church at Ephesus. He says this. I know thy works and thy labour and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. And thou hast tried them, which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. Oh, you know, it's great when we can identify a free will preacher. It's great when we can identify a legalist. And hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast laboured and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Don't ever imagine that we've got our spirituality sorted. Oh, that the gospel would continue to move upon us. These people that the Lord speaks about here, they have allowed other things to enter into their lives. Things that have choked the word and made it unprofitable to them. It becomes unfruitful to their souls. I fear that most of us 
are in this category today. But then there's the converted. Oh, that the gospel preached would convert our souls, change us and alter us. You know, people sometimes think that conversion is a one-off experience. It's not at all. Conversion is an ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. What is it that converts us? It's the gospel that converts us. That's why we have to keep hearing the gospel. It's why we have to keep feeding upon the, the, the Lord Jesus Christ and the messages of Christ and the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ because it is the gospel that sustains us. That is the word of God to our hearts. The word preached, the apostolic testimony. And that is what enables us to grow in grace. And the Lord Jesus Christ is telling his apostles, these disciples, that when they preach, when they sow the word, they will find in the reaction of the hearers all four of these conditions. Here's another lesson. Another general principle that the disciples had to learn from this parable of the sower. Response to the gospel preached is not regeneration. Sometimes there is the temptation for a preacher to mistake response to his preaching. Now, a powerful preacher, a persuasive preacher can excite his congregation and he can enthrall his hearers. And some of those hearers will at once receive the word that they have heard with gladness. But they're stony ground hearers. There are thorny ground hearers. And whether you're stony ground, whether you're thorny ground, you can give a good show at the start. It springs up. It gives an impression that there's something living there. But only in the leaf and not in the fruit. Do you see the problem? Do you see the problem that Peter and James and John and Paul had to contend with? Response. To the preaching of the gospel was not regeneration in every case. So if a preacher doesn't seem to be as excited and as enthusiastic about your gospel experience as you are, be patient with him. He's watching you. Believe me, he's watching. And if he's been preaching for a long time, he has likely seen many people come and go. And he's wondering where you are. He's wondering whether your gladness and enthusiasm is real or whether it's false. Some time ago I read an article by a man called um, J.C. Uh, Philpot, And uh, it was called Reformation is not regeneration and it was it was a particularly good article i i published it on the new focus website at the time i found it really helpful and because i found it helpful i'm going to place a link to it 
uh, in the sermon notes in the YouTube uh, little box under the, uh, the, the title for YouTube uh, after the service and you can find it there and you can click on it and that'll take you to the new Focus website and you'll be able to read it at your leisure if you choose to do so. But here's the point that Philpott was making and that I'm trying to make. It is possible for people to show all kinds of outward evidence of spiritual life, but it's just that, an outward evidence, an outward show. Are you an Ananias or a Sapphira or are you an Aquila and a Priscilla? Both of those couples shared fellowship in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. One of them was a fraud. But until that fraud was revealed, both were accepted as bona fide members of the church. You see, fruit takes time to grow. And the true believer, the true believer will and must weather some floods and some droughts along the way. How we live proves what we profess. And that's why James in his little letter speaks about faith without works being dead. He's not saying that we need works in order to have faith, but he is saying that true faith will manifest itself in a continuance and in a perseverance and in a fruitfulness. And here's the fourth and, 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 and final point. Good ground requires spiritual preparation because fruitfulness in a believer's life is spiritual. This was another lesson that the disciples had to learn before they were able to go out preaching. Peter, Paul, John, they preached a good gospel. They preached the true gospel of free and sovereign grace. The seed that they spread as sores far and wide landed here and there on the wayside, on stony ground, on thorny ground. But what made the difference was the quality of the ground. And who made the difference was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit alone could break up that hard stony ground. The Holy Spirit alone is able to remove the thorns, to make the ground good, to make the ground fertile, to make the ground productive when the seed is sown. And that can be painful work. Don't imagine that fruitfulness in a believer's life comes easy. Years ago, I heard this parable um, being preached on and the preacher told us that when we were converted, we would bring others to the Lord. And some would bring 30 other converts and some would bring 60 other converts and some would bring 100 other converts. That Arminian nonsense can stumble a young believer. Christian fruitfulness is not the number of converts that you have. It's your gospel faith in Christ. Christian fruitfulness is your faith. 
Christian service is your praise and worship and thanksgiving to God for the faith that he has given you. Good works are in every action, every service, every sacrifice, every sharing of a burden of another believer, every act of suffering, everything that we undertake and undergo in a desire to honour and serve the Lord Jesus Christ for what he's done for us in salvation. Let me give you one final little thought here by way of encouragement, just in case I've been a little bit too stern with you today in, in some of these thoughts. There's a final basic principle, and maybe this was number five, really. These four disciples, these, these um, disciples uh, and, and, and uh, apostles and, 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 and preachers and the church had to learn what the effects would be of sowing the good seed. But here's another principle. God's elect will be saved through the preaching of the gospel. It's how it happens. There's no doubt about it. The Lord's people will be planted in the sowing of that seed and they will grow and they will be fruitful. That's the reason why the Lord sent out the preachers. That's the reason why the disciples took the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's why the church continues, the true church, to preach the gospel of free and sovereign grace today because that is the means by which the Lord Jesus Christ gathers his church and it will be nourished and it will be made fruitful by the preached word of Jesus Christ. Why? Because that's God's way of doing it. God will prepare the man and God will send the preacher and he will prepare the ground and he will prepare the word and he will water, and he will weed, and he will scour, and he will break. But he will bring to glory his people. He will save his own. The gospel will not return void. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us and encourage our hearts in them.